Good morning. This is Michael Jaston, the Valiard from Doctor Who. And you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Good morning! Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for December 7th, 2021. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hassenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. And if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. This week, Chip, preparations are being made in good faith. That's all I can tell you. We got our auditions for our winter musical going. And every day somebody walks up to me and goes, you're going to, this is winter musical is going to happen. No, there's no COVID problems for your winter musical, right? And I go, ha, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're doing the winter musical. Everything's fine. <laughs> everything may be fine. And there's the deal, is that everything may be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, every everything today is good, but you never know. In fact, there was a football game last week with the Dallas Cowboys. I can't remember. I think nine people had to sit out um, because of uh, COVID. So it's one of those things where you just have to be very flexible. That's me. Very flexible. Like a gymnast, Steve. Like a gymnast. Omicron. Omicron is coming. <laughs> film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. Chip, you have gotten into the Christmas season here. You, you, you got your beard going for Santa. You're ready. Ho, ho, ho. Green Giant. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you have been watching a couple of Christmas movies getting ready for this season. The first one is 8-Bit Christmas. This is on HBO Max, and it's a, it's a local story, right? Local boy does good. Steve, it stars uh, Dr. Horrible. Ah, from I was thinking more uh, Count Olaf, maybe, or uh, Guy from Starship Troopers. Remember Starship Troopers? No. I, is- I don't know what you're talking about, Steve. He was a young doctor who became <laughs> evil. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, a very young doctor who became very evil. That's what we know about Neil Patrick Harris. He was in Mystery Science Theater 3000, too, so, so keep that was in. Was he really? Yes, he was. He got to sing a wonderful song with uh, Felicia Day, uh, very much in the vein of Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. For, for those who haven't seen it, I'm not sure if it's still available on uh, YouTube, but it certainly is enjoyable. <laughs> our, our movie is 8-Bit Christmas. You can currently you can watch it on HBO Max if you'd like. This was an attempt to make a Gene Shepard Christmas story, a Christmas story if, you, if you, many people enjoy that film uh, mm-hmm. every year. Uh, or enjoy listening to Gene Shepard read that story, which is just enjoyable. But uh, and then it takes place in Chicago, Steve. So you know, you know, it's got that's two things going for it: uh, wonderful storytelling attempt and Chicago, because all great films star, star in Chicago. But it, it takes place at the Batavia, Steve, and we know what people in Chicago think about that. It's it's not real, right? And um, the other part about it is the attempt is noted, but it just doesn't have the charm. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to. Um, 
say it's a terrible movie. It isn't. There is a nice message there. This is about growing up in the 1980s. It is about the video game frenzy that went on and the move from Steve. You remember Pong? Yeah, I do remember Pong. And I, and I remember this transition from Pong to that 8-bit world that we lived in with the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah, some of us had to move from the Atari 2600 You're right. uh, to, to the uh, Nintendo world, which was this leap forward. Mm-hmm. And it was certainly was a very exciting time, I guess, for people who, who want to play video games because they were much better. Mm-hmm. But there was sort of a... a there's something missing here. And and I don't know if it's the charm. It isn't quite Diary of a Wimpy Kid, which had some charm to it. It isn't quite a Christmas story. I'm going to say this is going to be 50 out of 100. And I think it kind of misses uh, some of the spirit that uh, it should have. Now, the, the idea is that Nintendo is a big thing. There's one uh, wealthy kid in the neighborhood who's got the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. All the kids show up outside. It's over, you know, it's over the top because, of course, it's a Christmas story. It's, it's going to be over the top. But what ends up happening is it's got this bow at the end where, um, you know, the, the, re- the revelation comes out of whether he gets a Nintendo for Christmas or not. And I just, once again, I just think that the, the, the sentiment is there. The casting is okay. It just somehow misses. So once again, 50 out of hundred, if you, if you have interest in it. Yeah. I, I remember this era very fondly. I was that kid in the eighties in Chicago wanting that Nintendo entertainment system and, and the over the topness of this storytelling, the attempt here to be that Christmas story, the Christmas story from Gene Shepard, that attempt here to be that really falls flat for me. I, I don't, have any connection to these kids and i should have this is based on the book of the same title from 2013 and i think that i might pick up this book because i think the book might be there might be something in the book that's not in the movie does that make sense oh i i do and i and i that's what i wonder so kevin jack uh, jabukowski uh is the writer of this what a what a chicago name that is it's definitely a chicago name for sure and there's something that is playful about this story that certainly there, there was something enough there that it should, you know, this idea of making it into a movie really uh, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be maybe a Christmas read that we'll, we'll go through because mm-hmm. that certainly seems like the place to go back and see what was enjoyable about this. Yeah. You also got a chance to see Klaus. This is the animated Netflix Christmas story from 2019. This is a good one. This is a great film. And in fact, I am so sorry I have not seen this. So everything that our previous film wasn't, this film seemed to have. There was sort of a a charm to it. It is an animated film. I was asked to watch this. I'm going to say this movie is 75 out of 100. And especially if you've got young kids, I would say five years and, and I don't know, to 10, five to 12 or, or so. I think that, that you can go into the story. You can find, you know, the idea is trying to anchor the story of Santa Claus in a real world is, I think, what the attempt is. Uh, we've got a spoiled kid that is um, his father owns a post office, 
is going to send him out to Smearinsburg, Steve, out of the middle of nowhere. And he's going to have to take this angry area that there's these feuding people and he's got to bring them together. on it. He's going to do it. And he's going to do it with some help from this guy named Klaus. I enjoyed this once again, 75 out of 100. I, I think that it, it is playing on Netflix. It's available anytime you want to watch it. If you're looking for a film for a family, this is a good one to, to find. Or you should p- go and find the Annie Live that NBC put on on December 2nd. I think that is a great holiday and family viewing this annie live they took the original broadway annie and they put it on our screens for us this week so they put it on over the air television is really what they what they did Mm -hmm. annie live was on nbc and it stars harry connick jr steve as daddy warbucks Uh, and and harry connick jr is amazing he did such a great job with this part giving a little bit of that crooner feeling that that special kind of performer that can do anything he is that crooner i, th- I think that if you wanted to go back in time and say hey um does uh mel Torme have a modern version of himself mm-hmm. yeah i think that we've got frank sinatra any of those guys mm-hmm. Harry Connick Jr. is that version for us. This was a great uh, place for him. How about Mrs. Hannigan, Steve? That was the part that I was the most excited about. I really wanted to see Taraji P. Henson as Miss Hannigan. And she, I, I tell you what, she really disappointed me, especially in the Little Girls song, which is one of my favorite songs from Annie. Little Girls was was not right. There was There was a pace to it that was wrong i would not let my students sing that song at the pace that she sang it i really think that what happened at the beginning of this performance is what happens to my students the adrenaline of live performance really drove the speed of the pace of everything in this i try very hard to get my students to slow down and i think that they suffered at the beginning of this performance from that anxiety of moving toward the live and the pace of little girls was just all wrong. So let's give a little bit of um, leeway to our actors who were up there singing uh, because it could have been, I can imagine a director saying, all right, so make sure that you're on time because we got commercial breaks coming up. That's immediately it speeds everything up maybe where it shouldn't be sped up and so our presentation suffered from commercials Mm -hmm. and if we had any or i'm going to just say if we have any suggestion for future performances this needs to be like you will be the one advertiser and it's going to be like general motors presents annie Mm -hmm. or you know just amazon presents annie live the idea that one presenter has it, maybe their advertising flips through the bottom of it. I, I don't know. But what we ended up having, the way the presentation happens, you have a song, you have a long commercial break, mm-hmm. you come back for another uh, song. And what ends up happening with that is we end up losing the rhythm and the flow of a play, of a, of a Broadway play. And that that could be the reason why we get uneven performances, because you can imagine having to stop, set up, and, and start again. It just mm-hmm. seems to not work real well for this 
presentation. I absolutely agree. The The pace of it, the franticness was based on we have to stop at this very specific moment because we have these commercials. We have to get this done. And that clock ticking in the actors' heads has certainly made this uh, incorrectly paced for me. Now, that said, Easy Street, where Taraji P. Henson and Titus Burgess sing, was spectacular. That The chemistry between those two characters, Miss Hannigan and Rooster, her brother, singing about how they're going to make it, how this scheme is going to pay off and they're going to make it to Easy Street, that worked really, really well. They, they didn't make it, though, Steve, because we know the ending of this play. Really? We think you think after all these years we know the story of Annie? Yes, Chip. Yes, we know the story and we know how it turns out for everybody. Annie, though, Annie did spectacularly well in the story. She really makes it at the end. And I tell you, Selena Smith, the young lady who plays Annie, is the best part of this performance. She has a future in in acting, whether it's on Broadway or in movies, I'm not sure. She seems more of a Broadway kind of performer, though. Well, in fact, this is a Broadway production, so mm -hmm. certainly you want that type of, of actor. Mm -hmm. So this, is, this was a very different production from 1999's Annie. Mm -hmm. uh, production where it, it came on it came on abc this was an nbc production but i could see that every generation does their own version of annie and this is a a wonderful um you know sort of kickoff to the holiday season steve and I think it's it's good to have that available to families. I think there's a lot of families that aren't ever going to see a Broadway show in New York. This is a way to give that to those families that, that could really benefit from seeing how this works. It does suffer a little bit from squeezing it onto our televisions. The camera work, uh, I think that they really could improve. There was a live production of, of Kristen Chenoweth. Um... And it's a recording that you can pick up. And it was, it was her last live one. But where she talks about where she, her introduction to Broadway was through cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. And, the, I mean, it's a story she tells through, you know, as she's building up to a song. I think for much, and she, she grew up in Oklahoma, by the way. So I think that we, we are in a wonderful position that many of us are very close to universities. Many of us have uh, theaters there nearby. Mm -hmm. But think about it. you're at your you're a family. You you have a you know a limited amount of resources. You're not going to New York to see Broadway. You're not going downtown Chicago to mm -hmm. see a musical. This could be your you know one of the few times in your life that you get introduced to this type of presentation, and I, I you know. How wonderful that these are available. And I think this has been like 10 years that we have a live production every year during the holiday season. How wonderful. Mm -hmm. Or you could go to the movies this week because West Side Story, the musical, is opening as a film this week. Do you think they'll have a place for us, Steve? <laughs> 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 How long have you been holding on to that joke? Here, let me do some. Let me do some. We're, we're going to do some fighting now, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the 
<laughs> that is one of my least favorite f- parts of the West Side Story is the, <laughs> is the very theatrical fight scene where they're snapping and dancing. It's a dance fight, everyone. Dance fight, everyone. <laughs> Do you think the ghost of Michael Jackson will be there? Why? Why would Michael Jackson be involved with West Side Story? Because he can sing Beat It, like in between it. Oh, because that <laughs> dance fight, that dance fight in Beat It is certainly... <laughs> We're going for like a Michael Jackson beat it vibe. (laughs) So I have very high expectations for this movie version of West Side Story. This is directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, What has he done, Steve? What has he done? What have you done for me lately? He was in the Blues Brothers, remember? He was. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have very high expectations for this. The original movie was released in 1961. That's 60 years ago, for those of you doing the math. It won 10 Oscars, three Golden Globes, and two Grammys in 1961. I expect this version to surpass that. I have high expectations for this. And Stephen Soundheim passed away just a, you know, a week or so ago. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know he's seen this film before he passed away i i uh, expect that he did see this that that they were able to get him a copy of of west side story because this this is his lyrics he wrote the lyrics for west side story the music by leonard bernstein is just amazing i love the music for west side story i've been trying to put this one on stage for a long time uh we just don't have the the talent necessary to do it justice at the middle school level i would love one day to direct a stage version of west side story well then you'd have to find the jets and the sharks Steve. that's right we need, we need the Jets and the Sharks. I Again, I have high expectations for this. Rita Moreno is in it. She is turning 90 on Monday, and she is playing the grandmother that she was originally in the 1961 version. She's still doing it. She's still amazing. Well, this is this looks wonderful. And once again, this is this is why the holidays are so special, because we get these types of presentations. Agreed. S- Steve. That's not the only movie coming out this week. There is a movie that is about two college football teams playing for the national championship called National Champions, Steve. Okay. So tell me all about football, Chip. I, I just I just told you all about musicals. Now you can share all of you that you know about football. This is J.K. So, Simmons. All right. All right. All right. Well, that's I'll- right. J.K. Simmons plays the uh, coach, and the coach says, this team will play. But one of the star players says, hey, listen, um, the the coach is getting paid millions of dollars. The uh, networks are being paid millions of dollars. The universities are paying million dollars. We should be play, We should be paid, too. Hmm. We're going to have a strike for oh. the national championship and not play this game. And that is the story that sets up this movie called National Champions. This could be an inter- interesting exploration, especially if you're following college football right now. We, we just had... Um, the Oklahoma football coach, Oklahoma is an A primo, uh, like the best, uh, football job out there. Well, he left to go to Southern California to coach that team. And then we had Notre James game, which is for most people, the destination, um, coaching position. Well, that coach left for LSU, Louisiana state university. Both of them got huge paydays, um, to, to move. Once again, this is kind of an interesting exploration of what do 
these athletes deserve to get paid and if they do get deserve to get paid. So, so Steve, one of the challenges of releasing your movies on a streaming platform is many times they do not get considered for Oscars and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And Amazon has found a clever way to move around that. They are going to release this movie to the theater and it's going to be available to everyone on December 25th. I see. This is Being the Ricardos. This is the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and how they became Ricky Ricardo and and his crazy wife, Lucy. <laughs> or, or as Steve would know this film, how did Desi and, and Lucy earn enough money to fund Star Trek? I mean, that, that's, that's probably that's, where the, 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 the little hook for steve right there that is all i think of when i think of i love lucy i i no, that's not true i love i love lucy uh, long story short when my wife and i were getting married i did not have a bachelor party we sat in our apartment my wife and me and our, our friends who lived in the apartment with us and we watched i love lucy that was my night before we got married was i love lucy so yes lucille ball was amazing and and she made Star Trek. And this stars Nicole Kidman, just so you know. Not just Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem and J.K. Simmons. Well, there you go. That's two J.K. Simmons movies in a row. Well, there you go. And, and we should probably say that this segment was brought to you by Farmers. <laughs> Bring me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> Our, our last film that we're going to uh, suggest this week is called The Hating Game. This is a story of two co-hosts on a morning uh, program that are competing and, and uh, ultimately fall in love. Steve, this is our love story comedy for this uh, for the week. There you go. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Brings us to our book and our book of the week, uh, Chip. It is a special time of year, and you're getting into the holiday season, watching movies and reading books. You got a chance to read the Christmas Pig. This is a new book by J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling, which many of us know from what Harry Potter, Steve. Yeah, Harry Potter. You know that previous generation's version of Star Wars, Steve. Hmm. Mm, your, your your favorite, right? I. So, I <laughs> Steve has not, not read any J.K. Rowling. I've tried. I really have. I've tried to read J.K. Rowling, both her mystery novel and the Harry Potter. I just, I just have never gotten into her writing style. Tell us about this one. So J.K. Rowling is a very, very clever and gifted writer. And certainly Harry Potter is something that will live with us forever. And so, you know, after you've written like the series for a whole generation of kids you know you want to continue to write and this is a christmas story this is called the christmas pig and it was released just a, a month or so ago and i thought i would read it because this is written to be uh read to a group of young people so you you pull up your five or six year old which you know steve we just don't have anymore not and you for, put them next to yeah not for a while till the grandkids come around santa that's right. You, you basically put them on your lap and you start reading a story to them. And, mm -hmm. you, and the idea is you want to go on a fantasy. You, you want to go on this sort of uh, 
ride and have a great time reading the story. Just like, you know, grandpa shows up and uh, the princess bride to, to read a, you know, a story as the young person in Chicago wants to get better for being sick. Yeah. Steve got to bring it back to, to Chicago. Right. <laughs> so JK Rowling, um, wrote this story. This is a book that in the beginning part is very, very heavy because it's about reality. It's about a son and his mom and dad. They have this ideal family. They're talking about this toy that they enjoy, that he enjoys playing with, but the adventures and then mom and dad have a divorce, which you can imagine how challenging it is for this child. This child ends up moving um, with mom to be closer to the grandparents. He goes to a new school. Once again, life has changed quite a bit. He is befriended by a, a girl who is going to be like this gymnast who's Olympic level, who seems to have everything going right for her. And um, he, she is like the kind person who brings them into this new world. Well, guess what? Her parents go through divorce and she goes through a dark period too. Ultimately, the mom and the uh, uh, of him and the, the dad of her end up creating a family. And she has having a lot more challenges. Um, she's, she's a person who's having some tantrums that are going along with it. And she makes a decision that ultimately impacts our our star of this, this young boy named Jack, and uh, they they go on an adventure to try to recover a toy. So we have, what I'm trying to point out is we have this well thought out, but really dark beginning. That's, that is the entry into our story that becomes like a Wizard of Oz. It becomes like a Nutcracker type of story where Jack becomes this little guy and he's got to go on this journey with this brand new toy to go find his old toy that he loves so much. And they go through all these different worlds. Once again, it just kind of plays like the Nutcracker. Mm -hmm. It plays like a, uh, like a Wizard of Oz type of story. He ultimately comes to the conclusion uh, that I won't give away. It is an adventure. There are like pseudo morals going throughout the things. J.K. Rowling is an incredibly gifted writer. This certainly could be made into a um, Nutcracker ballet or a play or a movie or something like that. This certainly could be made into a Wizard of Oz type movie. Uh, but ultimately, this is, um, you know, it just didn't quite hit it. And as all these stories kind of end, the, the, you know, once you get to the conclusion, it wraps up in a bow, like, and they got to, you know, he woke up under the tree, they had hot chocolate, all is well, and, and the little girl and Jack, they wink at each other, and uh, he sits down to tell them on the adventure that he went through. This is an okay book. Okay. Uh, and I, I, it could be, I, I do think that it could have used just a, a little more editing and kind of some rewrites because I, there is a, you do get your heart strings pulled when you, when you, when you ultimately you find the toy that you love so much, you, you, you do go through some traumatizing adventure. And I do mean, I mean, 
J.K. Rowling really knows how to, one, write heaviness, which was the beginning of this, and certainly knows how to write scary parts, which are also part of this book. You know, are they too scary? I don't know if they're too scary, but certainly there is something there. This is sort of like uh, a Pixar film that is too dark, is what I would say. Okay. So, so um, I, I can't recommend this to a young family. Uh, I'm not sure if this is too much for an eight-year-old to read on their own. But I, I do think that there's something there that is really, I mean, you can't help but just marvel at her talent. So in your description, I can hear a movie. I can see in my mind an animated film based on this story. But I think that they're going to have to shave down some of those dark parts to get to the heart of it. Yeah, I, and the heart of it is that when you grow up, uh, for young people, what, what do they want to know, Steve? They want to know breakfast is on the table. They want to know dinner's on the table. They want to know that you know they've got a, a clean place that's around them, that things are, 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 are steady. And life doesn't work that way. You know, people get sick. People, uh, grandma has to move in with you. Because, you know, some reason, you know, somebody loses their job. It, you know, life happens mm-hmm. and it throws children through chaos. Yeah. And so, we, and because of that, they react different ways. Sometimes they become very quiet. Sometimes they act out. I mean, you're in a school situation, Steve. Mm-hmm. You know, you got 30 kids in your class. You're going through something. Yeah, three or four of them are going through something really heavy. Yeah, that could impact everyone else. So, you know, how how do you deal with that type of adversity? Well, certainly, rolling really captures the chaos of life really, really well. The challenge is, is how do you introduce that type of chaos into a story? Mm-hmm. And I think there's where the rewrite has to come in is that she's got a good skeleton there, but it, it, there are parts where it gets real scary. There, there is a fun, there's lots of humor in here. I don't want to make sure I'm very clear on this. There's a battery that's running around because it's lost in this lost world. This is for lost toys. And, and the battery is like, well, you know, you, you know, you're not really needed right now. So no one's really looking for you. Oh, I'm so lost. But you know, Christmas day is coming, Steve. And Somebody's going to be looking for a battery. So there's a good chance she's, this, this battery is going to get out of there. So there's there's some humor. And she absolutely captures it. I also, um, something I want to mention is, is that Santa is introduced in this story. Really? And I can't help but thinking that the British version has Father Christmas. Uh, so maybe there was a rewrite uh, for the American audience. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But this is a... Um, there, there is something there. Uh, okay. I do think it's a little heavy for for young people. And once again, I think I've I've I've, 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 I've hit it real well. It's it's a Nutcracker, Wizard of Oz type story. All right, that's the Christmas Pig by J.K. Rowling. Just came out this year for Christmas. Scroll with it. brings us to our scroll with it you know i'm still basking in the glow of the fun convention from last weekend the chicago tardis 2021 getting together with all of our friends and talking about doctor who 
That's not your sainthood showing up around your head, Steve. That's that's that glowing. It's just a general glow of happiness. Every time I think about all the fun that I had, all the friends that I saw in Chicago. And one of the wonderful things about visiting a convention is you get to meet people and you get to have conversations, Steve. And one of the great things about Chicago TARDIS is you see the same people year in and year out. It's like a family reunion. I got a chance to talk to Dr. Paul Booth, one of our friends. Uh, he is a professor of media and cinema studies and communication technology in the College of Communication at DePaul University here in downtown Chicago. So when we're at the Doctor Who convention and there's some authors and artists and all these wonderful people, we see some of our friends have books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Paul Booth has a new book, Watching Doctor Who Fan Reception and Evaluation. Wow, that's very, that's very university of you, Paul. It is. It's a bit of a mouthful. But, you know, what's great is it's... My, I wrote this with a friend of mine and we really aimed for kind of not too academic, not too general, but kind of this nice middle ground where you can kind of read the book, feel like you're learning something about fandom, learning something about yourself, but it's not like heavy with academic jargon and things like that. So what's your focus? Is your focus on the canon episodes of Doctor Who? Is your focus on the people, the audience? What's what's this book about? It's really on the audience. So we actually take take the stance at the beginning that there is no official canon of Doctor Who, that everything counts. Um, but what we're really interested in is how do fans change their evaluation of different parts of Doctor Who over time? So we all maybe love a particular doctor and then uh, passions change and we may love a different doctor. Uh, episodes are rated really highly and then kind of fall down the rankings. You know, The Deadly Assassin was kind of hated when it first came out and now it's seen as a classic. And so, so why do we do that? Why do fans do that? And so we, we looked at this from a lot of different perspectives, looked at all the different external and internal forces that, that affect how we make these sorts of evaluations. And what percentage of that is nostalgia? Because for me, I, I look at a lot of material that I read, a lot of material that I watch. I need that sense of myself in time in mm -hmm. that work. What percentage of Doctor Who is, is all about that moment that you saw your doctor, maybe when you were 12, that seems to be the mm -hmm. prime yeah. year for viewership? It's a huge amount, you know. We, we base so much of our personal evaluation on our sense of nostalgia and what we remember from the past. But of course, as we know from JNT, the memory cheats. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are plenty of times that I've gone back to episodes that I loved when I was younger, and I've been like, did I, did I really love this as much as I thought I did? Uh, so, so I think there's also kind of a personal reevaluation that happens too. That idea of perspective change. As an adult, I see things very differently than mm -hmm. I did when I was 12. Even though I teach middle school and I'm the tallest child <laughs> in my school, I still see things differently from my students. And going back to some of those, some of them actually speak to you. Yeah. So I think of those classic pieces of literature that when you study them, quote unquote, study them in high school, you may or may not understand the author's intent because they were adults when they mm -hmm. were writing that story. Going back to them as adults, same thing with Doctor Who, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, partly we come back with new experiences, new ideas about the world, um, and we think about 
how you know our perspective has changed. I, just to give you an example of that, I um, when Fear Her first came out, I didn't really like it, and I, I, I agree. think a lot of people didn't. <laughs> but I've recently rewatched it, and it's dealing with some mental health uh, discussions that weren't really as as prevalent at the time. And now we talk about mental health. Certainly in, in higher ed, we talk about mental health a lot. Right. And it's it's talking about how to how to deal with a lot of mental health issues, PTSD, things like that, in a really interesting and thoughtful way. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even get this the first time. I just kind of saw it as this silly episode. So I, I think the, the way the world has changed also affects how we watch and understand Doctor Who. It's wonderful. Uh, the, the idea of isolation that we've gone through through the pandemic and the idea of how that applies to the storytelling, some of those characters that we may have completely overlooked, now we can empathize yeah, with who that little girl is and what she's going through. Yeah. That's beautiful. And there's no way they knew that going into no. the episode, but I think with time we start to see that these are universal human experiences that we now can understand in a, in a different light. Wonderful. So that is watching Doctor Who fan reception and evaluation. Dr. Paul Booth, thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Wonderful. This book is, is really a scholarly analysis of how Doctor Who brings people together in communities and how the storytelling is accepted and rejected by the viewers. It is a densely written university level view of fandom in general and Doctor Who canon specifically. It, it's, a, it's a heavy read. Well, I look forward to your review, Steve. Yeah. Steve, the holidays are here. Yes. And there's there's parties, there's and events you'll go to, and there there are times where you know the adult beverages flow, and a you don't realize how much you've I'll take a cup of holiday cheer, please. And so, Steve in Israel um, last month, they found a gold ring with a purple amethyst in it, and Steve, it is to prevent hangovers. The, the hangover cures at the gas station in Israel a thousand years ago was a gold ring with an amethyst. Well, Steve, that's the magic. That's <laughs> that's the magic of the holiday season. And if you can have a magic ring, why not take it? I I think that imbibing a magic ring with with powers that can take away your your problem of imbibing is good. <laughs> All right, Steve. So you had your libation. Your hangers are prevented. Where can you go and, you know, maybe pick up one of those rings? There may be a place in Chicago. <laughs> they, they will be selling magic rings next weekend at C2E2, the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, coming this weekend, December 10th through 12th. Come on out and, and enjoy the convention scene. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite conventions of the year for sure. And that's going to be at McCormick Place, downtown Chicago. You can go to c2e2.com to find tickets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure you can have a lot of fun. Steve, what if someone couldn't go? Maybe they lived in a different market. They have rolled out their new Metaverse annual membership. So here's the deal. Through COVID, we all stayed at home and did all of our digital lifestyle. The Metaverse is going to be if it comes to, to pass, that digital life. And C2E2 is getting in on it. Read Pop, actually. The, the 
company that makes C2E2. They are in charge of four different conventions around the world. The New York Comic-Con, the MCM Comic-Con London, the Emerald City Comic-Con, and our C2E2. And what they're offering is you can go to all four of those events virtually digitally at home sitting in your basement for a, a small fee so you don't have that fear of missing out and with that type of uh presentation steve they should at least give us press passes so <laughs> i mean i'm not bitter or anything c2e2 is a very very big convention and they want very very big shows uh too much scrolling has not qualified <laughs> Steve, we've got tens of hundreds of listeners. We've got, to we've got tens of dozens of listeners. <laughs> we, we we do our best, Steve. I'm sorry. The thousands and hundreds and thousands of listeners that we have. Yes. All right, Steve, I want to be a better writer. I like comedy. I want to write for television. I want to write for comedy. Where can I go and have that done? <laughs> Okay. Yes. Uh, I have, I have the best way to learn how to write comedy. That is the Mads are back. They are riffing the, the worst movie of all time. Manos, the hands of fate next Tuesday, December 14th. You should tune in, go to the Mads watch TV's Frank and trace Beaulieu rip on the one of the worst movies ever made along with their special guest jackie naaman jones friend of the show who was the daughter of the master little debbie herself will be there while tv's frank and trace just rip on this movie i look forward to this event this is the event of the year all right steve the end of the year is coming do we need to have our listeners do anything for us yeah, let's let's turn back the clock. Remember two years ago, BC, before coronavirus, every year we would have an our end of the year wrap up and we're going to do that again this year. We want to hear from you. We would love to hear what your favorite things were in 2021, your favorite movie, your favorite book, your favorite thing that happened in life. In Maybe your favorite mask. <laughs> favorite mask. <laughs> let's celebrate let's have an art installation of all of the masks that we've been wearing for the last two years oh this one's lovely <laughs> maybe maybe your favorite shot maybe maybe you got shot in the arm you never know Steve. <laughs> the first one the second one the booster you never which know one? one of them could which be one? your favorite which one was your favorite <laughs> which your, who's your favorite manufacturer <laughs> We want to hear from you. What is your story of 2021? We will put those all together and do our wrap up of 2021 at the end of the year. And we, we really want to hear from you. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. Absolutely. Again, we, we really love hearing from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenblatt. See you in the future. Fold.